Okay. We've been working on the book of Micah, that book that you all like so much. Just full of that wonderful information. He's actually quite an unusual writer as he uses things uh, that are sort of, I guess you'd say, poetic. The way he says things are poetic. You have to think a little about them. In chapter 1 he mentioned uh, cities that as far as we know never existed, but he, he, he talked to them like they were uh, important, uh, uh, rolling in the dust as a, as a thing that people did uh, because they were sorry for their sins. And he named several things like that. We come to chapter 3, we're going to have some more things that are pretty unusual. And you could really get messed up unless you know that he uses the kind of of explanations to help us uh, think about things not directly what he's saying but poetically speaking you can apply it to now chapter one uh, Micah said I'm here to warn you in chapter one he said I'm here to warn you about idolatry you're worshiping other gods, and you're going to pay a price for that. You can't do that. It's going to cost you. And then in chapter 2, he went on to talk about uh, coveting. And the people were taking away property from other poor people. And he was up in arms about that. So you think... Well, now, now he said everything they did wrong. Oh, no, he's chapter 3, he's going to say it again. He's going to say it again. He's going to tell us again what people did wrong. And he's going to be much more specific, I would say, this time, as he talks about what is wrong and why it's going to cause trouble. And you recall that we said there was a northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom, kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem being the capital of Judah, and uh, kingdom, northern kingdom of Israel and Samaria were taken captive by the Assyrian army, wiped out, nothing left of that city. The tribes up there, all ten of them are gone, spread out, and forever spread out. Uh, but he is talking to the people in Judah now, in Jerusalem, and he's talking about their behavior and what is going to happen to them because of it. And he's about to spring out way into the future. Uh, but for now, he's going to nail down what he thinks is wrong, and he's got a pretty good idea what he's talking about. And he means business. And so here we go, chapter 3 of Micah, beginning at the first verse. And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel. So he's talking now to princes, uh, rulers would be rulers over the northern or the southern kingdom here, uh, people who had a place in government. 
people who served, people who were higher up in society, and he's talking to them. And he's going to blame two groups of people tonight. This is the first one. He says, partially what happened is because of you people and you people who were in charge in Jerusalem. Is it not for you to know judgment? All right. He said, here's what I expect, uh, that you would understand judgment. What does that mean? Is it not for you to know judgment? Well, you're the rulers over Israel. Israel is where the temple is. The temple is there. Solomon's temple is still there at this time. And that's where all the sacrifices are made. People come from all around and sacrifice in Jerusalem. And he says, so if you are a ruler in Jerusalem, if you are a person who has any kind of power in Jerusalem, I expect you, you have no excuse for not understanding judgment. Is it not for you to know judgment? What's he talking about? Well, they have uniquely in all the world a Bible. Not as full as ours is now, but they had it. And it was the center of the temple there, the temple is explained in the Bible, the sacrifices are explained in the Bible, the reason for it is explained in the Bible. And he said, so you have no excuse not to know this. You should know this. There's no excuse for you not to know this. You are responsible to know it, he said, and here's what you did instead. Verse 2, who hate the good and love the evil. So he says, here's where you're at. Uh, You ignore your Bible. You ignore that. As a matter of fact, you come completely the opposite. You hate whatever is good and you love whatever is evil. You love to do evil. And he says, you've got the Bible. Why haven't you read it? And why don't you do what it says to do? You're required to do that. You're in charge. You're supposed to be in charge of God's people. Uh, and you are bound to do what God says. And you are bound to believe what God said is evil. God says this is not right. And you can't say, oh, yes, it is. I think it is. And here's what they do. You ready for this? Verse 2, who hate good, love the evil, pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones, and also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from off them, break their bones, chop them in pieces as for the pot, as is flesh within a cauldron. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did he just say? He says you're like cannibals. They're eating people like cannibals. He says, as a matter of fact, uh, you're not satisfied just to flay them and get some meat. You want to suck the marrow out of the bone. You're going to break the bones like you're cutting everything up to put in a stew. He says, you're going to break the bones so you can actually suck the marrow, it says, as flesh within the cauldron, suck the marrow out of the bones. He says, that's 
how you treat people. You utterly destroy them. In your hatred of good and your love of evil, you're willing to just leave people, uh, and he, he tells it because he's trying to get across to us and shock us a little. And he kind of does shock us. He says, they filleted you and cut your butts, your bones up and sucked the marrow out of your bones. Uh, they absolutely destroy people. There's nothing left. Because he says you hate good and you love evil. And we are bound by the scripture. When God says it's wrong, it's wrong. It's wrong. You can't turn around and say, yes, it's right. No, it's not. It's wrong. You're going to love evil and hate good. He says that's not what you should do. You should have had the Bible and understood what was good and do it. You ended up hating it. You do want to do just the opposite. And there's many, many examples in today's society of this kind of thinking. I mean, uh, homosexual behavior. God says what? No. He says no. You can say yes all you want. You can say, well, we're going to be kind to them. We're going to have them come in and be part of everything we do. We're going to make ministers out of them. You can say whatever you want to say. He said no. And that's it. It's wrong. And he said either you're going to love good or not. And the Bible is absolutely full of this kind of information. I just want to show you one. I could show you hundreds of them all through the Bible. I want to turn to Romans chapter 1 because this is the way the Bible treats it. And this is why Micah is saying to these people, you should have known. It's not like it was hidden in the dark. You should have known what was wrong. And you should have gone by that. And here's a list in Romans chapter 1. And they're all through the Bible. This one, one that I actually commented on, it talks about homosexuality. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1, verse 27. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust towards one another, uh, men with men, working that which is unseemly, receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Right? They, they received punishment. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, all right, we like to say, well, we don't know anything about God. We're going to ignore God altogether. We're going to forget about God. We're going to, and that's what these people were doing. We're going to Hate good and love evil. Even as you like to keep God in your knowledge, gave them to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So if you hate good and love evil, these are the kind of things that are going to happen. Being filled with all unrighteousness, you do anything wrong, fornication, sexual sin, wickedness, evil thinking covetousness, desire to take what belongs to somebody else, maliciousness, bad motives, full of envy, jealousy, murder, 
kill somebody, you're so angry. Debate, all you ever want to do is argue. Deceit, you're a liar, malignity, whisperers, and that's all liars. Backbiters, people who always got to get back. Haters of God, despiteful, proud. And proud comes in on the list certainly as the beginning of sin when Satan was proud. Boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, you can't grasp what happens. Covenant breakers, you made a promise and you don't intend to keep it. Without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. (coughs) So these people who was their job to sit in judgment, uh, the Hebrew word is actually they know faces. It means that they, he says sit in judgment means to know a face. Or in other words, uh, they're going to treat you different because you're somebody else. Well, you know, we know you will treat you a little differently. Uh, Instead of being impartial and sitting in judgment no matter who you are, he says, well, we know your face. We're going to treat you differently. And so he said what they did, they tore people in pieces, absolutely consuming them. He says, like cannibals, anything in their life that they could destroy, their dignity, they destroyed it. They raised taxes. It's like taking the wool from the sheep. So we take the wool off the sheep, pay your taxes, not enough. We're going to take the hide, too. We're going to take whatever you got, all right? And so uh, he says, you left people absolutely destroyed and in pieces. And you tore them up in shreds. And that's how he's looking at it. And he says, our treatment of people is under God's eye. He's watching us. If we leave them crushed and broken... If we destroy somebody, he says, God sees it. And so he said, go to the Bible. That's what he's telling them. Go to the, you had the Bible. You had enough information. We go to the Bible same way. How do we treat people? This is my commandment, right? That you love one another as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Be kind one to another. What? Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's how we're supposed to behave towards each other. Do not overcome evil with evil, said Jesus. But what? Overcome evil with good. And so we have the right. The Bible tells us what to do. And Jesus gives us all kinds of behavior things. Things that we're to do unto others what? As you would have others to do unto you. That's how you behave. And so he says you can leave people in a mess because you love evil. You don't care what happens to people. You destroy them along the way. And that's a very sad thing. When people are destroyed because what? Because we don't want to follow correct judgment. We're going to do what we want to do. 
Uh, treat people the way we want. And he says, it's like you're cannibals. You're eating them up. And when you're done, they're, they're destroyed. No life in them. You, you can. So, verse 4. Here's what's going to happen. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Or, he says, when your trouble comes, and your trouble is coming, Jerusalem. He's warning them, your trouble is coming. When you get there, you're going to cry and say, oh God, help us. And God's going to say, I'm going to let happen to you what you did to them. You destroyed people. That's what's going to happen to you. He said, I am not going to let you see my face. I'm going to hide my face because you've been face people. You see somebody, well, I'm going to treat them differently. No, no. He says, I'm not going to allow that. So he says, the day is coming. When you come, you're going to be just like that. Like they filleted you and skinned you and cut you in pieces and sucked your bone marrow. That's what's going to happen to you. And of course, when Jerusalem fell, it's a pretty good description. There were bodies of children all over the streets after they came, took Jerusalem. They just killed and killed and killed and killed and killed and destroyed and destroyed, and then they led them off captives. So he said, that's what's going to happen to you because you had the chance. You had the knowledge. It was available to you, but you wouldn't use it. You judged after your own way. And so it's a warning to all of us here. God's telling you, this is what you should do. It's there in the Bible written clearly out for you. You better hang on and do it. Verse 5. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. All right, now he goes to the other side and he's going to talk about the prophets. uh, People who were uh, supposed to be spiritual leaders. They were supposed to be spiritual leaders. And that would be the priesthood in the temple, basically those who were leading the spiritual side of Israel. Let's see what he says about them. Verse 5. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. (laughs) Wow, that's something. First of all, he says, you cause people to err or to do wrong. Why do they do that? Because they teach wrong. They teach wrong. And he says, you prophet, you're supposed to lead people to do right and not let them do wrong. And he said, yeah, that's what your job is. And he said, instead, after they follow your advice, they're doing something wrong. And that kind of teaching, that kind of false teaching that they were doing in the temple uh, is the kind of thing that leads people down the wrong path. And he says that bite with their teeth and cry peace. Uh, Bite with their teeth appears to be gorgeous. 
push your chief over your upper lip, and this refers actually to the upper lip. So you say, oof, can't talk, you know, bite, you're not going to say anything. What I'm going to say to you is, peace, peace. It's all peace. It's good peace. Tell you all, peace, peace. You okay with that message? We want you to be happy with the message. Message is peace. And we should have said, <laughs> bite my tongue, my lip, so I can't say what I should say. Instead, what I'm going to say, peace, peace, everything is good. Everything is fine. He says, that he putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Right? And so he says, here's the way it goes. These spiritual leaders, they say, well, uh, if you sort of put something in my mouth, all right, so you give me something. Something. And when I have that, then my message is peace, peace. It's okay. You're all right. You didn't do anything wrong. Here's the message is peace. All is well. There's nothing to be done. Everything's fine. And they flatter people, telling them they're right. You're okay. As long as you give me something. <laughs> you give me something, and then I'll tell you you're really okay. He says, if you don't put something in my mouth, as he say there, he that putteth not into their mouths, they can prepare for war against them. If you don't dust my palm somehow, if you don't put something in my mouth, if you don't give me something, he said, then you're my enemy. We're going to fight. We're not going to stand for it. We're going to fight. And so we got spiritual leaders who are telling everybody, you're okay. You didn't do nothing wrong. It's all right. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm not going to do that. And so, and if somebody doesn't give me what I need, well then, they're my enemy. And so the prophecy or the prophets or the priests in the temple, just, it's all about what they're going to get out of it. And they are always going to give you the message, it's okay. I'm good. You're good. You're good. You're good. Now, here's what's going to happen to those people who make enemies out of people who don't give them a kickback and refuse to say anything bad about them so that people believe that people there, they actually believe they're okay. It's okay. I have the approval of the spiritual leaders. It's okay. Here's what's going to happen, verse 6. Therefore night shall be unto you that you shall have not have a vision. It shall be dark unto you, you shall not divine. The sun shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them. Your opportunity to speak and to lead people 
spiritually in a correct way, you forfeit it. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the darkness over you and you won't have any more vision. You won't have any more ideas of what to say. And it'll be like you're in the dark all the time. You're not going to divine and say, oh, I'm going to get God's will. You won't know what to say. You're going to be just sitting there not knowing what to say. God is going to make it so that you uh, have nothing to say. I'm not going to allow you to keep speaking. I'm going to send darkness over you. No more answers. No more visions. Uh, You're unable to give answers anymore. You're going to be in the dark. And so that's what he said, I'm going to do to you. Then, verse 7, shall the seers be ashamed. So you got people there who are saying, well, we, we got the voice of God. We're a seer. We can see God. We got the voice of God. And the diviners confounded, and they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. They're going to have no idea what to do. When Jerusalem is laid siege to, they got no idea what to do. They're trying everything. Go to Egypt. See if Egypt will get us out of trouble. Do this. Do that. Pay them off. Try anything. None of it works. None of it works because you guys do not know what to do. And so you realize you don't know what to say. You got no information. And so now you make sure you look. Because everything you say is wrong. Everything you say is incorrect. You don't know what to say. You have no answer. Because God's not giving you answers because you have led people down the wrong path. So there's a warning now for the prophets. Right? The leaders are told, you had information. You could have done right. Instead, you ate people up like eating them for dinner like cannibals. And the prophets, he said, you had right information available to you, but you wanted to flatter people, cause them, and so you said, oh, you haven't done anything wrong. Don't worry about it. You're okay. And now, you ready? This is, you're about to meet Micah. Hang on to your head, verse 8. But truly, I am full of power. <laughs> uh, here's that guy. They don't want to hear what he says. They don't want to hear what he says. I'm going to tell you something. He says, I got a lot of power by the Spirit of the Lord. I have power by the Spirit of the Lord. And of judgment. I have the power to make judgment. I got that power to look at something and see it and know what's right and wrong and then make a statement about it and of might and to declare unto Jacob his transgression and unto Israel his sins. He says, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm full of power. And that's a unique statement. You don't see that much in the Old Testament. Where does it come up? In the book of Acts. They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. Jesus in his baptism is filled with the Spirit. We see it in the New Testament. Not often in the Old Testament does somebody stand up and say, I'm filled with the Spirit. 
I got power. <laughs> Good old Micah stands up. And says, I got it. And here's what I'm going to do with my power. Here's what I'm going to do with my knowledge and my wisdom. I'm going to tell you your transgressions. And I'm going to tell you your sins. Well, if that's what you're going to use your power for, get out of here, Micah. Get out of here. No, no. God has said to him, he said, I'll give you power. You're going to use it correctly. Micah says, I have to tell the truth. I have to tell. I haven't got the, the ability to say, well, we're going to just not mention it. He's going to not mention it, bite my lip. Not going to mention it. He says, no, no, no. He says, I got to tell the truth. And I'm going to use the power of God to tell you what you're doing wrong. And that's what he's just done. He's told the leaders their ability to judge is seriously flawed because they love evil. And the prophets, your purpose, your meaning was to be a spiritual leader and you need to tell people the truth and you're telling them a lie, you're telling me you're okay, you're good, do what you want. No, 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 no. Micah says, I'm full of power of God and he set me here uh, in might have a powerful message you're wrong you're wrong so he's really there's a good look at this fellow Micah he's got a connection with God and he is not going to be pushed along by the multitude who think that's ah, okay tell them whatever tell them they're okay and they were told that and told that right till the end. Told they were okay right till the end. When the end came, they said, well, well, we'll see here more of it in a second here. Verse 9. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. The, their purpose was to sit in judgment and say, this is wrong and this is right. And they refused to do it. He said, you refuse to do it. And so you pervert judgment. You'll say just the opposite of what you should say. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. And so we're saying, well, we're building our capital. We're safe down here in Jerusalem. After all, we're the center of spiritual worship. We've got the temple. We've got the priesthood. We've got the sacrifices. We've got everything. He says you're building the place on blood. You're building it up in blood. And he says you're building it up with sin. That's what you're building. You're building sin. That's going to lead to bloodshed. And the terrible bloodshed is coming. That's what you're doing. And that's your attitude towards God's people is that you're just going to do what they want to do. You're going to pervert what the Bible says. Change it into something else. And we've really got to pay attention to what the Bible says. It tells us what's wrong and we need to pay attention. 
And this is an error that he's particularly worked up about, that they were not told the truth. They were told it's okay. And he said, that can't be. Verse 11, now you're going to get a reason. The heads, therefore, judge for reward. The priests thereof teach for hire. The prophets thereof divine for money. They're in it for the money. Because every one of them was in it for the money. And money has a bad effect on the work of God a lot of times. Money, yeah, we need money to do the work of God. We all know that. But uh, if there's a motive somewhere that says uh, you judge, why do we judge? Because we get paid. We get a kickback for it. And we'll give you the, the judgment you want as long as you pay for it. And the priest thereof, he's teaching. What's he doing? He's reading a psalm, singing a psalm, saying a sacrifice over the psalm. Why? Because they're going to give him some money for it. He wants money. And yet will they, uh, they, they divine, the prophets divine for money. He said in the whole system, it was all filled up with money. Who gets money? We need money. If you want us to do these things, it's going to cost you. And money became a major issue back then. By the time Christ got there, money was everything. It was everything when Jesus got to the temple. Uh, he walked in there. What did he say? My house will be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. All about the money. It was all about the money. They were the richest family in Israel. Caiaphas and Annas and all of his house were the rich. They were filled. Pockets were full. They were constantly getting money in. Money in all the time for their sacrificing. They, they had shortchanged people in the temple market. That's why Jesus shut the thing down and kicked them out. Uh, I don't want these people here because it was all about money. And the way you got to be high priest at that point, why Caiaphas is high priest when Jesus goes on trial, is because he paid off the Romans. The Romans said who could be high priest. And you paid the Romans, and then they said, okay, you're the next high priest. You gave us enough money. You're it. And that's what they were doing. Caiaphas was paying off the high priest. Annas was paying off the, the, uh, the, uh, the Romans. And that's how they got to be who they were. All right, so let's look at again 11. The heads thereof judge for reward. It's about money. People who should be judges. The priests thereof teach for hire. They said, we'll come to the temple and we'll give you a nice service as long as you pay for it. And the prophets thereof divine for money. All right, if you want to hear the word of the Lord, you want to pay for it. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come unto us. And that was the tragic situation that Mike is trying to deal with. These men said, Look, we are Jerusalem. We've got 
the sacrifices. It's the only place in the world you can sacrifice. It's us. It's ours here. God's here with us. God's with us. So you never have to worry. None evil can come upon us. Nothing can go wrong. We've got God with us. God's on our side. And that's what they said to people right up until the place got smashed. They said, look, we got God on our side. It's okay. And they didn't have God on our side. They thought they did. They held the services for money. And they wouldn't preach what needed to be preached. And they refused to judge correctly. He said, and so you'd rather destroy people and smash them and ruin them until there's nothing left of them. And then when uh, the time comes, God's here. We got God. Well, if you are not going to follow God's instructions as given in his word, and you're going to hate good and love evil, you don't have God with you. Don't say you got God with you if you're going to go against his word. I don't think you do. He's not going to, he's not going to back that up. Say, oh, we're Christians. We're, we're all set. We can, no, you're not all set. Not all set. We've got to be careful about that. Micah's warning us. He says, I'm full of power because I'm telling you where you're wrong. And you need to be careful about it. And they're all saying, oh, we... God's with us. Don't worry about it. We're all set. God's with us. Can any evil come against us? None. None. We're all set. Now here's what's going to happen. Therefore shall Zion for your sake, because you did this, you did this, you uh, ignored right, embraced wrong, you did that, because of that, therefore shall Zion for your sake, you did it, be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. So in Jerusalem are mountains, and one of the mountains is called Mount Zion. We sing the song, we're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion, because on the top of that mountain in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, was the temple, was built on top of Mount Zion. And they made the, the courtyard uh, terraced into the hillside, and so you went up 12 steps and came into the court of the women and had 12 more steps into the offering box place and then you went up the next series and you're going into uh, where the priest can only go but it's all on top of Mount Zion and so Jerusalem and Mount Zion are kind of the same and actually Mount Zion being the place where the temple was uh, it says that is the crowning touch of what God's going to do so uh, on Mount Zion, he says he's going to plow it like a field. Jerusalem shall become like heaps, or the stones will just be in piles. And when uh, we read of uh, the, set, the men who went back to rebuild Jerusalem after 70 years' captivity, 
Uh, you remember what Nehemiah said, it's just piles and piles and piles of rocks. But there is just piles of rocks everywhere. He said, and they made it just like heaps or rocks. And the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. And so uh, and you got up to the top where the temple was. Uh, then you say, well, that's, that's the high place. And he said, you're going to be like looking at a mountain. Why? Because at the mountain on top, you go past tree line, and what's up on top? There's nothing on top. There's nothing there. Nothing grows. You go above tree line. <laughs> around here, there's no such thing as tree line. All right? <laughs> there's no mountain around here. But you go out west, and you go up higher and higher. Pretty soon the trees are this high. Pretty soon they're gone, and the top is just blank. There's nothing on the top of the mountain. And he says, that's what it's going to be, like a high place in a forest. Where the temple was, there's nothing there. And that happened partially when Babylon came. Babylon destroyed the temple. But when the Romans came, 40 years after Christ, when the Romans came, that's when they really tore that place apart. Until there's no wall, no nothing. They were so angry in the temple, you recall the Romans hung a pig up. They were so angry at the Jews uh, trying to resist them that when they broke through into Jerusalem, the first thing they did was hang a big old pig right up in the temple. And they were supposed to leave the buildings as they were. But the, the Roman army was so angry, they said they dug down and dug up the foundations. They wanted to utterly destroy it forever. And they dug way down and dug up the foundations. And so the temple was gone after the Romans finished it. And it was actually plowed as a field. And we got people who were uh, there and who came in even in the 1800s who said, yeah, it was a place where Jerusalem, that was the city of Jerusalem. And when they plow it to plant, they, you get up a rock with mortar on it because it's where there used to be something, but now there's nothing. And so they were plowing what used to be the city of Jerusalem. And he says they plowed these the Jerusalem, the Mount Zion, it was terraced off and they were plowing it. And one of the people uh, who wrote about it said uh, there was barley growing on top of Mount Zion. They plowed the field. And so he's exactly right about what would happen. And it would happen in Babylon as they destroyed it. Uh, it was rebuilt again, and then the Romans would come until there was nothing left, and they plowed it like a field. Right? And so we have him saying to us, look, look, this is what happened. He said, you guys refuse to say this is wrong and this is right. And if you're going to refuse to say that, he said, then you're going to pay a price. 
you need to do it. And he said, I got the power of the Lord with me. I got the Spirit of God with me. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to say, this is wrong. This is sin. Don't do this. And that's how he used the power of God. Now, we finish with the destruction of Jerusalem prophesied by Micah. And then we're going to creep into chapter 4 a little bit because it gets pretty exciting. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established and the top of the mountains shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow into it. Now that hasn't happened yet. Now Micah is taking us from the destruction. He started with the destruction in Samaria. That's ruin. Now he's coming to the destruction of Jerusalem. He said they're going to plow it like a field because of your behavior. The way you behave is going to be plowed like a field. Now I'm going to tell you, let's look ahead. Where are we going? Well, we haven't got there yet. We haven't got that far yet. He said, let's look ahead into the future. He says, in the last days it comes as the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountain. So there's going to be a place on top of Zion again where people are going to worship. It'll be exalted above the hills. People shall flow into it. People are going to come by the hundreds all over. Many nations shall come. And say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so he says, there's coming a day when God's going to reestablish the temple in Jerusalem. And people are going to come from all over the world once again to go to that place. And who's going to come? All kinds of people are going to come. People from every nation are going to come. He's talking about the thousand year reign of Christ. When Jesus returns to the world and says, I'm back. I'm back. And I'm in charge from now on. And I'm going to set up my kingdom on top of that mountain that was plowed once because of your sin. I'm going to set up my kingdom there and I'm going to rule the world from Zion. And he will. He'll be the ruler of the world. Here's what he's going to do. Three, he shall judge among many people, rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What a wonderful thing. When Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom again from top of Mount Zion, he says, what you guys have done for thousands of years, which is fight and argue and fight and argue, I'm going to put an end to that. There will be no more war. I'm going to make it so that the economies of the world are turned over from war into plowshares. And the earth is going to be more fruitful than it ever was because all the energies that mankind has will go using, it will be turned into raising food and making this nation, this world a wonderful place. 
and I will not allow any more war. And that's why they call him when he comes, what? Uh, run to us, the son is given. Government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Man, it'll be wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and what? The Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace comes and he dispenses peace out over the whole world. Micah just took us on quite a journey, didn't he? He took us from the depths of man's sin as we destroyed God's work to what? God coming back and establishing his kingdom on that mountain. He'd go on with more and more and talk about what will come in that time. But he has just taken a 2,000-year leap. Well, probably three, we don't know how soon the Lord will come and establish his kingdom. We don't know that, but he's taken us on quite a jump. And so this guy... Who nobody ever paid any attention to gave us some of the most wonderful information. They're going to beat their plow swords into plowshare. There will be peace brought by the Prince of Peace as Jesus comes. So it's a wonderful thing that he's talking about. And verse 4, they will sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree. None shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. You're all going to have your own tree, your own garden. See, I try to grow a garden. They hardly ever work. You know, I got an apple tree and the apples are like little bullets on there. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even want to taste it. It's terrible. But someday he says you're going to sit under your trees and sit under your vines as God turns this world into a garden again. And you'll be sitting there eating the fruit off you, and you'll say, nothing can harm me. There's nothing going to disturb me now. Here I sit in peace, because God has swept peace over all the earth, and I never have to worry about it anymore. Why? For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. There it is. How do you know it's true? God said. That's all he says. As long as God said it, that's good. You're all set. God said it, and that's proof enough. And so he has taken us on this journey, showing us how sin should have been dealt with, and it wasn't. And so God sent along judgment, and they were treated the same way they treated other people. And finally, Jerusalem would fall and be plowed like a field, it just piles of stone. And the Bible says that when they walked past Jerusalem after Babylon got finished, it was a hissing. It was a hissing, they said. The Bible says they went, look, look at it. Look at the total destruction. And what was it all about? You're okay. You didn't do anything wrong. It's all right. That wasn't true. That wasn't true. And the people whose responsibility it was to stand up and say, this is wrong, wouldn't do it. And so Jerusalem is destroyed. Thanks to God and Jesus' work, he'll fix it all in the end. 
And so these men were prophesying to their day and then giving us hope. We got hope for the future. Comes from Micah, this little guy here. Nobody ever reads his book, but it's pretty good. It's going to get better. It's going to get better as we go. It's going to get really good in about chapter 6. But don't miss chapter 6. Thank you.